How many chocolate milk fans are there in the room? A handful, a handful of us. Uh, I'm not a big chocolate milk fan. Uh, I get in trouble when I buy it at the store, but um, no, we're in this series of overflow, and uh, this morning um, I want to uh, I want to uh, continue this series on overflow, where we look at I gotta I gotta I gotta look at the table of contents to find the book of the Bible we're in this morning. All right, here we go. We're gonna be we're gonna be in um, in Haggai this morning. You might be like, what? There's a book of the Bible, Haggai? Yeah, there is a book of the Bible, Haggai. On my, in my Bible, it's 1,000, page 1,042. I don't know what it is on yours. Uh, but I think oftentimes we like to focus on, um, we like to focus on the New Testament God, right? It's easy. It's easy for us to relate to the New Testament God and, um, and get behind that New Testament God, get behind Jesus, because Jesus walked this earth. He uh, interacted with us face to face. Um, he, uh, you know, he, 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 he felt some of the things that we felt, and we can relate to him. And, 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 and don't get me wrong, I get it, because I think we tend to focus on this New Testament because we gravitate towards the relational side of God. And it seems like, it seems like, well, the New Testament God is far more relational, uh, as if maybe to believe that there are, uh, there's an Old Testament God and a New Testament God, and they're dueling personalities, and they, they, they contradict each other. And what I want to tell you this morning is that is not the case. Because uh, from uh, the table of contents to maps in the back of your Bible, and I say this often, God does not contradict himself. There's nothing in Scripture that contradicts itself. And uh, I, I, I often listen to a pastor that puts it this way, and so I've kind of stole the line from him, but it's God deals with people then the same way he deals with people now. And that includes Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, you know, our Creator is the same then as he is now, and he interacts with us that way. And so today... Today we're going old school. Today we're going Old Testament. Today we're going uh, the book of Haggai or Haggai, however you want to pronounce it. It's far easier to say Haggai, so I'm just going to call it Haggai. You know, if you, you get down to a wrestling match with a scholar, he might say, well, it's actually Haggai, or it's probably even some other uh, pronunciation. But, um, but a couple weeks ago, I thought, man, I think there's a book, Haggai. What is Haggai? Is it like a, is it a social media app? or what? I mean, what's going on here? And so uh, I want to give you a flyby. And plus, if I knew about it, it'd be a social media app that was still popular in the 40 and over crowd, which then means most everybody wouldn't know what it was anymore. So uh, anyways, yes, he's a prophet of God. It's a book in the Bible. He's a, a man in the Bible that's referenced in the Bible. And it is not a social media app. Um, but I want to give you a flyby of, of Haggai uh, and who he was. So he was an Old Testament prophet, and a prophet at this time in this era, and what's going on at this time, is a prophet of God was somebody who delivered the word of God to the people. So almost a mouthpiece, or would, would bring the message and the word of God to, uh, to, his, to his people. Um, and uh, and he, during this time, there was a group of prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Haggai, there was a group of them all together that were warning God's people. They were warning God's people that if they didn't change their ways, if they didn't line up with what God had for them, that 
a great empire, in this case it was Babylonian, the Babylonian empire would exile them, would take them from their land, they would hold them captive, um, and, uh, and they would be basically slaves of this empire. And so, um, and, and that's the case with Haggai, it's towards the end of, or actually at the end of, the Babylonian Empire, which is the greatest empire of the time, taking over uh, Israel, God's people, Jerusalem, at this time. Okay? All right, and the scriptures talk about, uh, also, if you were to, you know, talk about uh, prophecy, where uh, something is said in scripture and then it is fulfilled, in, fulfilled uh, scripture tells us that at one point, God's people, the Israelites, were going to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And so at this time, um, what has happened is that has become, started to become true because the Persian Empire finally got up enough strength and muster and everything to take over the Babylonian Empire. And so at this point, the Persian Empire takes over the Babylonian Empire and says, all right, Israel, God's people, you may return to Jerusalem. You may go home. You may return to your home. And so uh, at, at, at this point, it had been uh, around 70 years since God's people had been in Jerusalem, uh, and, uh, and whole generations had been raised up in kids, that kids at the time were then grown and had kids of their own uh, since the last time God's people had been in their land. And so a lot of time has passed from uh, from now, when Haggai kind of enters into the story. And so what we see is that even though God at, at one point had given his people this land, it's actually the only recorded time other than New Testament covenant where God says this is holy ground, like this is God's ground. This is the first and only time that God said, this is your land. My people, this is your land. Uh, I'm going to give you this, and they map it out exactly what it is, and God had given them the people this land. Um, but their actions had lost them this land, had, had caused them to be exiled out of it. Um, and now they get to return. And so Scripture tells us that a small, they call it a remnant, a small group of God's people will return to Jerusalem. Um, and I don't know the exact population of the time, but it was a small portion of those people. 50,000 people decided, you know what, I'm going to make that trek. I'm going to make that, I think it was like a five or six month journey at that time at the rate of travel, thousand miles plus, uh, to get back to Jerusalem. And so only 50,000 people, of which God again promised all the Israelites, his people, the land for them to have, only 50,000 decide to make that trek back. And so enters Haggai, uh, again, a prophet. Remember what's a prophet of God? Somebody who communicates God's word to the people. All right, so at this point, he's the mouthpiece of God, the one to communicate God's heart to his people. And the people come back with good intentions. Their hope is to restore God, the land that God had given them. And we see in Haggai 1, uh, it starts off where Haggai's going to communicate to God's people what they do now that they're back in the land. And it says this, in the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and Joshua, son of Josadak, 
the high priest. And that is a very meaningful scripture, right? Like that is like, right? I I heard it put this way though. Uh, And you've probably heard me say it before. Like why in the Bible do they mention names of people? Even in the New Testament, like, you know, to, to, to record Jesus and what he did at the time, they say, well, so-and-so, go and see. What, go, go and talk to so-and-so here or so-and-so there. In the Old Testament, they use it as dating. So they say, they say the king who's in charge and then the local uh, governor who's in charge and then the people who are uh, in rule at that time and then they give the day and the month. And basically what that, what that is, I mean, that's in a sense the start of a journal entry. That's in a sense saying, what follows this happened on this exact day and is truth. Okay, so Old Testament, and in the book of Haggai, you'll see he delivers like four messages in there, like two months apart, two months apart, two months apart. We're going to squeeze it in all in the, you know, handful of hours we have together this morning um, and do one message on it. But um, so, Amber's the only one that laughed at that joke. Um, Anyways, so, all right, verse 1. So it just sets up the truth. The king's Darius, the, the local ruler is uh, Zerubbabel, which you remember I talked about uh, the line of David last week. Zerubbabel is the, the line of David at this time that is eventually going to lead to the birth of Jesus. And so that's a side little extra tidbit of knowledge you can take with you at no charge. Um, this, in verse 2, this is the Lord, this is what the Lord Almighty says. So this is Haggai saying this. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while while this house remains in ruin? And so what God is saying at this point is he's saying, is it time for you, the people of God who have returned to the land I've given you, to, uh, to and, and we'll get into it here in a second, to rebuild my house, the temple, or your houses and what you've got going on. And so uh, Haggai, uh, through the Lord, is saying, hmm, let's take a look at how we're acting right now, now that we've entered back into the world, into the land that I've given you. So for 60 or 70 years, this land has sat dormant. Uh, the, the, the ground has not been tilled. The ground has not been uh, turned over. The, the buildings are in ruin. It actually says in Scripture that no stone was left unturned. So literally the exile, like they demolished everything in Jerusalem. And, and so uh, that's where they're at. And, is, and, and, and Haggai is saying, is it not yet time to build the house of the Lord? And at this time, you have to really kind of understand, one, they've returned back, uh, and they've just started building their own houses. They've started establishing their own thing, which, you know, on the home front, I, I, would, I, would, I would say that that's not too bad. Because, I mean, if, we, if you were to go primitive camping with your family, like, what would you do when you first get there? You set up the tent, right? Or you set up what you need to cook, because food's actually more important than sleeping, to me. Uh, anyways... Uh, but no, you set up your house. And so I get that they started with setting up their house. But uh, at this time, for these people, the importance of the temple dwelling, the importance of the place of worship was of huge, enormous value. So at this time, the temple of God was actually the only place where you could convene with God. And this would be the temple of, of, of Jerusalem as well. And 
Uh, but uh, for us, that isn't the case. For us, the temple of God is us, the believers. It isn't a barn in Sutton Valley that's nestled in the woods. It isn't a, a, a building off the Guide Meridian, or it isn't, you know, it, I mean, it, it isn't even, with COVID, it isn't even your home, like your physical home. The temple of God and what God wants to build up is his church, which is you. So New Testament, we're the temple of God, and we'll get to that challenge here in a bit. But at this point, they had neglected to build a temple for the Lord, and it had been what is thought to believed 15 or 16 years that they had returned to Jerusalem, and they still hadn't built the temple where they were going to worship, right? Okay, so the, uh, they had built their own houses to the point of what it says there, paneled houses. And so at that time, they built with stone and with with uh, brick and all that, you know, uh, you know, the local resources of the land. They didn't have, like, wood mills. Uh, a piece of plywood wasn't $95 like it is today. It wasn't even $45 like it was three months ago. But uh, you wouldn't go and, you know, cut down trees because that just wasn't the way to build. But for this time, at this point, these people had built their own houses, but had also started decorating their own houses, had put up, like, like really nice wood paneling, Right? Right? And so they had started and invested time and energy in their houses. And what I think, for me at least, and, and maybe you can relate to this, for what I, what I kind of feel in my heart is that oftentimes I'm like, well, one day I would love to do this. One day I would, oh, man, I, if I had time and if I had resources, and I would love to invest in this or do this or do that. And at this point, Man, I know that, that that is what they were feeling. They will build our houses, we'll establish our stuff, we'll get going on what we need to do, what we, what we desire, and all that kind of stuff. Man, and when I have time, we'll work on the, the house of the Lord. Now, quite honestly, if you look at Scripture, it says it had been like 15 or 16 years before they had really done anything with the temple. So they didn't have the time. I don't know if you can relate to that, not having enough time in your life. But... Uh, but one day they'd get around to investing and filling this up. And what Haggai's doing is he's saying, no, 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 no. The time is now. The time is now for you to uh, commit to building something for me, building, building, building something that we can worship and that, we can, uh, that I can be uh, blessed through as we'll look at Scripture here in a second. And in your life, in the time that we're facing right now, with everything, and, and it, this can be pre-COVID, this can be post-COVID, this can be current, whatever we're facing in our lives. Uh, I think, quite honestly, it's really easy for us to focus on what we need to do. Like, whether it's to the point of survival or whether it's the point of trying to find some comfort, whether it's the point of uh, grasping for the things that you think you deserve in your life. Like, at this point... I think it's easy, easy for us to relate to the idea of focusing on our own needs first before we give our uh, devotion and build up something that the Lord would desire for us. In Haggai, in, in verse 5, it says, Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. And this is where it gets, this is Scripture. This isn't me. I'm going to get mean here in a little bit. But this is Scripture. Um, Haggai 1, 5, and 6 says this. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. 
You eat and never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in purses with holes in it. And, 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 and what's being communicated here, what's being said here is, man, when I do it, when, when, when I do it, when you do it your way, doesn't it always seem like it isn't enough? Doesn't it always seem like maybe you don't have enough in your life? Right, that there's always more to do, more to build, more to strive for, more to decorate, more to, more to collect, more to gather. Like, oftentimes when I'm trying and I'm and going after something on my own, there's never like an end point. I'm always going after more, 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 more. And what he's saying above, haven't you planted and harvested little? Haven't you eaten but you convinced you don't have enough? Don't you have clothes but not warm, earn wages? I love that. I mean, not going to make you raise your hand, but like how many of you are going to be like, how many of you have enough money right now, right? Like, one person who barely gets allowance is old enough to get allowance, raise their hand. Uh, and it's like, I got $5. I can go to the store and buy a candy bar. Um, no. Uh, but that's just, I mean, that's a great analogy. Like, we earn money, but it seems like it just falls right out of my pocket. There's holes in your purse. Isn't that true? Like, that's just true. And then here's the harder pill to swallow, okay? Verse 7, it says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. This is Haggai, the verse of, of, you know, being the communicator of God. Give careful thought to your ways. I love that he said, give careful thought to what you're doing. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house, which remains in ruin, while each of you is busy building your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, and the earth its crops, and I called for a drought on the fields, and the mountains, and, the, and on the grain, and on the new wine, and the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people, and livestock, and on labor of your hands. I think, man, I knew there was a reason why I didn't really like this, God. Like, that's mean. Do you hear what he's saying there? Like, I, I wanted to wrap my head around that. He's saying, he's saying you don't have a lot because... You haven't put the focus in. You haven't put the time in. You haven't invested in the kingdom, in my temple. He's like, I actually blew it away. I actually brought the drought that produced less crops. I mean, God's taking credit for some of their hardship. Now, it doesn't really go into how much hardship they had fallen into and where had God had brought them to. But God's saying here, you don't have a lot and that's because of me. Because I've withheld some of this for you, from you, because of the path that you're on and, and, and the focus that you have. And it's easy for us to be like, ah, man, that's mean. Like, I mean, that's not a nice God. 
But is it though? And I think as we kind of dissect this, we'll see it because I'm a parent. I've got three kids. Uh, and, and what is, as a parent, and maybe I'm not even a healthy parent, so maybe this is a horrible analogy, but when my kids get in trouble, what's the first thing I do? I take things from them, take responsibility from them. I take their video games away. I take whatever, their screen time, whatever. I mean, that's like a parenting style, right? And I'm not saying that that's how God operates, like he takes stuff from us or, or rewards us, and we'll get into that here in a second. But um, he teaches, as a parent, I like to teach my kids lessons. And some of the easiest ways for me to do that is for me to redirect their path, for me to like, you know, literally like kind of try to lead them in the right direction. Ultimately, we all know that if you're a parent or, man, if you're a human, you know that people have to make their own decision eventually, right? Like we can't control them all the time. And, and that's the way God operates with us as well. He wants us to make that choice to go after his heart and build his temple and, and worship him. Um, but we want to keep our kids safe as well. And so we direct them towards safe and we actually keep them from harm, like from harm and safety, right? God knows the path that you are on and where it leads. God knows where we are going to end up if we continue down the path that we're on, maybe holistically in our whole life, but maybe just a, an avenue of our life. Maybe there's something in your life that, that is just kind of off, off a little bit. And God knows where you're going to end up, even though his path is here. God knows that even just slightly off, like eventually it's going to be a divide. And you're not going to be in the same place with him. Eventually you have to make that choice. And for me, a couple big rocks in my life. 1998 is one of them. 1998 is when I accepted Christ uh, wholeheartedly, when I gave my life to the Lord. And that was a big rock for me because I had come uh, from, uh, from a place where I didn't have a lot of purpose and drive in life, and, and I needed some focus and some attention, and God gave that to me. Another, another big, big, big rock in my life was in 2000. I went through something pretty hard, and, 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 and I didn't know. I was like, man, what am I going to do? And God kind of directed me in my path. And then in 2009, God saw that I personally um, was heading down a path that wasn't going to be good for my marriage. And God directed me, used my wife in an amazing way, and used pillars of the faith that are in my life at that time to, to, to help me make that choice. And then in 2015, as a family, God used another instance in our lives. He saw the direction that kind of I was leading our family in and was like, man, that's not going to be the best for you. I have, and I desire something that's amazing for you. And he kind of led our family in a, in a different path. See, it's the idea of focusing on our pleasures and our desires in our life or focusing on God's pleasures and actually understanding that God's desires are far greater than our desires. And he's going to lead us into something that's far more amazing than what we could even work really hard to create in our lives. 
See, when we set up our construction side of life of where we're in, I was kind of using this as an analogy, where we're building and working and, like, and we don't place Jesus as the foreman of that God, the creator as the foreman of that job site and building things up. Oftentimes what happens is that, one, the foundation of it is weak, you know, it'll fall apart. Uh, but two, God at some point might just pull that rug right out from under it because he knows where that's gonna lead us, Right? He knows that it isn't the most healthy path for us to be on. Right? It's, it's the difference between focusing on what's temporary, the temporal of God, rather than the eternal of what God has for us. And often what we build up, invest in, it causes us, if, if we've taken hold of it, it causes us to neglect what God is asking us to do and what God actually want to lead leads us into And it neglects the design of the creator over our lives and it creates that separation And it breaks off that that relationship that we have with him I heard it put this way as an analogy is Oftentimes you can hear us say well I'm, I'm waiting on the Lord to uh, to lead me in the right direction, right? I'm going to pray for God. And you even hear me say it like, uh, you know, why don't, why don't, why don't you, uh, you know, have a conversation with God about how he wants you to give or how he wants you to serve in the church. I mean, you know, here at CDK Sudden Valley, man, there's plenty of opportunity for everybody to serve in some way. And we're often like, well, you know, I'm going to wait for the Lord to kind of direct my path and, and show me where he wants me to go. But where else in your life do you do that? Like, uh, how many of you have gone to uh, a movie now that the movie theaters are open, right? There's a handful of us in here. Did God lead you to that? It's like, wow, God led me to, you know, go check out the, the AMC or the Regal. You know, he's directed me that way. Or uh, I, I love that there's a golf course here in Sudden Valley. Golfing, one, is not cheap, uh, you know, 45 bucks. And it's like four-hour commitment, like, you know? And so, like, you know, I don't know. I mean... I'm not a real golfer, so I don't want to throw golfers under the bus, but we choose to invest $50 bill in four hours of our time in golf. Did we be like, oh, God, did he lead me in that? Did he direct me? Like, did I convene with him? And now, now, now here's the deal. Here's the deal. Because God, God uses all of those things, relationships and, and, and opportunities for us to convene with each other and build relationships with each other. But why is it that oftentimes when it comes to spiritual matters— we, we are slow to act. We are slow to build. We are slow to construct. We are slow to trust even in some things. But in other areas of our life, we're maybe flippant. Maybe like, oh, you know, I got this. I'm going to build this up. And or I'm going to, you know, this is my hobby. This is what I do. Right? And, God, and, and, and Haggai, he says in verse 7, give, I love this, give careful thoughts to your ways. Go up into the mountain and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. He says, go up to the hillside, bring down the word, wood, and, word, could be, uh, and, and work. Put in the work to build my house. And, and, and this is one of the most amazing things, because it applies to your life and my life. It applies to the temple that they're building at this time. They had no idea 
Haggai and his people, the people that returned to Jerusalem, the, the land that God had given them, they had, they, had, they, I mean, they had no idea that at some point Jesus was actually going to teach in that building. Like Jesus was actually going to like set foot there. And actually, Scripture tells us that, that the entire uh, uh, rebuilding of God's people, more than a building, was going to be centered on that spot, right? Was going to come from that area. But, but that applies to our life, too. Like, what you build in your life, Jesus, the Spirit himself, is willing and desires to use it. Everything that you build in your life, everything that you invest in, everything that you uh, put in the hard work for, like it is Jesus' desire to use that for his glory. Right? Everything we build as a church, like the ministries and the, 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 the community interaction, the uh, reaching our neighbors, the, uh, the, the, the uh, image, or I don't know, not image, the, the rapport we build with people, the, the, what we uh, display as, our, uh, as, as what we invest in, what we're centered on as a church. God desires to use that for his glory, not for our recognition, right? For his Glory, And that's what we want with our personal lives. We want everything to display his glory in our lives. And that's that, in, that's that idea of, of investment strategy, right? Like when, when, what we own for ourselves, we want to be the best. Like we want it to be great. And we want to do good things with it. We want to build up and invest in it. And my question is for us, is that God's kingdom? Is it, is it God's kingdom in everything that we do? Like, is that what we're investing in? Is that what we're putting the time and energy into? Is it God's kingdom? Is it the temple for us, which is our lives? Like, the, the curtain was torn and, and all communication was open for us to communicate with our God, for us to interact with him. No longer had to be a building and a place and a, and a, and a certain person that was picked by casting lots and, like, pulling names out of a hat. Like, no, we all have access to the creator of God of all things who desires to use all things in our lives. Is that what we're investing in with all that we do in our lives? And what happened was at that time, that remnant of people who returned struggled with that. That 50,000 people who returned struggled with that idea. Uh, starting in, 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 in chapter 2. On the 20, again, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the Lord came to Haggai to speak to Zerubbabel, the son of, you know, the governor of Judah, Joshua of Jehoshadak. I mean, like, that's just, that says, hey, truth. Follow what, what I say next happened on this day, right? Speak to Zerubbabel, son of the Sheatite, governor of Judah, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, and ask them, who of you is left saw the house in its former glory how does it look to you now does it not seem that you does it not seem to you like nothing now be strong zerubbabel declares the lord be strong joshua son of josedek the high priest be strong 
all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord. And I think, ah, oh, there goes God again. Like, that's mean. Like, he's like, they've rebuilt the temple. It's a fraction of what it was before. And God says, doesn't it look like it's not much? Doesn't it look like, I mean, it, it's a, it doesn't look like it used to. I've had so many conversations of recent time of, oh, the church is nothing like it used to be. The church is nothing like it used to be. I wish the church would go back to, or I wish the church would, right? At this time, God is saying, man, it's nothing. It's nothing like it was before, but here's the good news of it all. Because he goes on to, 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 to kind of talk about how, man, even though it's not a fraction of it, it's what's in it is greater. Check this out. He says here, the temple uh, was amazing before, but not so much now. Again, God being like, oh, just call it as it is. Uh, they had built it as a fraction of the size. But then in verse 4, it says for them, uh, Be strong, people of the land, declares the Lord, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. Do the work, invest in me, be strong. Um, not, and it, this isn't the work harder. This isn't like you've got to do more work kind of speech. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's focused on our attention and our faithfulness to allowing God to do the work, not ourselves. And here's what it says in, in verse 6. In a little while, I once more will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord. And the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. And so here it is in Haggai again, where God says, man, what you build is kind of small. Uh, but here's what I promise you. Here's what I promise you. The glory that will come from what you have built. Because at that time, the people of God were, I mean, at the, if, you, if you go back to Ezra, so the, the whole story is in Ezra chapter 3 through, I think, 6. I think it goes into 5 and 6. In the old, and yes, Ezra is a book of the Old Testament as well. Um, but uh, you go back there and you can read the whole story. But at this point, God is saying, man, what you've built is kind of small. And, and at that time, there were people who uh, were older, and Ezra, it says, and there were people who were younger. The younger people who knew only exile and everything were cheering at what they had built. And it says in Ezra that the old people were, were weeping because it, it was far less than what it was before. But here's the deal. What God is saying here is the house that you are building, that you have built now, despite its size, will bring more glory than ever before. And that's a promise that I want in my life. Because here's the deal. I know that I've, man, I miss the mark, and what I build is often my own, and I often fall short, uh, all those things. But God's promise to me is that what, you are, what, what you're willing to invest, what you're willing to give, what you're willing to allow me to work with, more glory than ever before will come that. You've just got to trust me. You've got to be faithful with it. In Matthew 12, 6, it references this. It says, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Something greater than whatever you build in your life can be a part of it. 
And as long as we allow Christ to be a part of those areas of our life, allow, allow Christ to direct the paths, the paths where we feel like we're a little off or the paths that we just blatantly don't allow him to work in, right? Uh, he will bring greater glory than we can even understand or fathom if we allow him to. And so Haggai says to the people, we all have hope because of the promises of God. The promises that were written in Isaiah and Jeremiah and earlier in the Old Testament, the promises that he will build a new Jerusalem through his promise and through his people's faithfulness. And then there's this weird story. And I'm going to kind of close with this. Because this kind of brings to light this idea of the areas of our lives that we allow God to be a part of and we don't allow God to be a part of. Chapter 2, verse 10. It's the th third of the four messages. We're not going to do much with the last message, but. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with, and, and, and it touches with his fold uh, bread or stew or wine, or oil or food of any kind, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contacting a dead body touches any of those, does that become unclean? And the priest said, yeah, it becomes unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so it is with this people. With this nation before me declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands and what they offer is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward, before the stone was placed on top of another stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? So I read that and I was like, what? Like, okay, so here's how it works. Uh, at that time, they would, because I'm, I'm guessing you like, where, where I was like, what about meat touching what? Like bread and oil and clean and unclean, like Old Testament, like, ah! I mean, I think that that's why we're like, let's just, let's just open up Matthew. Let's just open up Matthew. It's a lot easier. But at this time, they would set aside meat that would be an offering for the Lord. This meat would be unblemished. It'd be a lamb that was like, or, 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 or a calf or whatever that was, had no blemishes at all. And that meat would be set aside the best of the best for the Lord. And they would carry it in their garment as to not touch it themselves. And then they would take it to the altar and they would, they would burn it and give it to the Lord. And what, what Haggai is saying through, or what the Lord is saying through Haggai is saying, okay, so say that person's carrying the meat, and this holy meat, set aside for the Lord, touches this piano. Does this piano then become holy? Or this song stand, or the chair? And, 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 the, and, the, and, the, and the prophets at the time, the people at that time, the religious leaders at the time, they're like, no. Like that doesn't, the piano doesn't become holy just by touching the holy meat. And then he says, okay, well, well, Let's say, uh, and we know the story of Samson or whatever, like if you touch a dead body based on, on, on Old Testament law, then you would become unclean. So let's say, he's like, all right, let's just say uh, a person touches a dead body, and then they touch the piano. Does that piano become unclean then? Yeah. Does the stand become unclean if I'm unclean and I touch it? Yeah. The chair? Yeah. And what the Lord is saying through Haggai is like, so is it with my people. 
that of which is of the Lord is holy, is blessed, is uh, uh, set apart in, uh, in, in to give glory to the Lord. But that of which that I try to do on my own and my brokenness and my selfishness and my own desires that I withhold from trusting God in, that is not holy. That's unclean. And so at this point, God's calling his people to be like, man, like we've got to trust the Lord in what he's got for us. And so for you and, and for me, God is saying here um, that if we allow God uh, to, to rule and reign in our lives, allow God to uh, direct our paths, that if we give him the things of our life, that of which definitely that we hold the tightest to and, and for sure the things that we're willing to give over to him, like he will bless that. He will receive that and what will come of what little we give him or what much we give him will bring great glory to him because ultimately that's what we're called to do, right? Give him the glory. And it's not about the working hard. It's the faithfulness part. It's a priority part of our life. That of which uh, we give God the priority with, he will use. That of which we make our own priority and separate from God and his trust and his, his direction, that is what he's going to be like, all right, we'll see where that gets you. We'll see what that produces. Or just might yank that rug right out from under it as, so that we can focus on what he has for us and what he desires for us. It's about, it's about your kingdom versus his kingdom. It's about your, the desires of your heart or the desires of his heart. It's about realizing how much God is willing to, to act and work in and how much you're not willing to allow him to act and work in. Jesus didn't die. And I know I said this a few weeks ago. Jesus didn't die to make our lives better. Jesus didn't die to bless our lives. He died to take our lives. He died to align our lives with our Father, our Creator. He didn't die that we just might have a better life here on earth and we might be more blessed. He died so that we would trust him more, that we would trust in him, our Savior, the one that did the work for each one of us to unite us with the Father. So for them at that point, it was a building that they built so that they could convene and worship with God. And God worked that out with them. For us, it came from a little town of Bethlehem, and it's our hearts that he's after. It's our hearts that he desires to have and direct. And I love at the end of the fourth message that Haggai says, he basically makes this statement that I chose you. And he's talking to God's people. And so this morning, I want to close with that. I'm going to invite the band to come up. But I want to close with that idea that God has chosen you. 
God has chosen you to build his kingdom and bring glory to your life, his glory to your life, and to the lives that are around you. Not to bless you or to, to give you more or to, to even have you overflow with things. The overflow of this is the glory of God and the desires that he has for you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that that it is your desire for us to give our whole heart to you, our whole life to you, uh, to trust you in all that we are and all that we do. Lord, I thank you that, uh, that you've given us your word. Lord, that it is your desire to speak to each one of us individually. That it is your desire for us to align our lives and our hearts and our minds up with you. And so, Lord, I pray, much like you spoke through Haggai, Lord, I pray that you speak to our hearts, Lord, what you desire for each one of us. Lord, that we would give up, you know, this area over here or the area over here or this area of our life. Lord, that we would, we would gather up all the stuff that we have, all the baggage, all the emotions, all of the, uh, all of what we are building, what we are holding tight to, and that we would just lay it at your feet. Lord, that we would trust you to build something that would be glorious for your kingdom and glorious in our lives. Lord, as we close with these last two songs, may we worship because of that. May we focus on you for all that you've done for us, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.